question if you would just read the answer with me. How is the Sabbath to be sanctified? And the answer, one, one day in seven should be especially devoted to corporate worship and other spiritual exercises that restore the soul's rest in God and zeal for His name. It should provide physical refreshment and fit one for a week of devoted service to Christ. Um, if you are new to Redeemer, we have a digital hymnal that is on the app, but it's also, you can access it through the website, edinsillechurch.com, right there on the front page, and you can kind of follow along. And uh, if you're curious about some of these Baptist catechism questions, if you're kind of new to catechism, it's kind of a, maybe you may think that's kind of a Catholic thing, but uh, uh, we're in the Baptist catechism, and um, you can, we're on question 66, so we've been doing this for a while, and so you can click on that link on the hymnal and kind of see all the questions that we've already done. You can kind of go ahead. Um, so that's just a way for us to continue to learn about God and learn about His Word and learn about doctrine and theology. Uh, our passage is in, we're back in the book of Luke, and so we're done with our Advent series. We spent four weeks talking about Jesus as a true and better. Uh, Adam and Abraham, Moses, and uh, Pastor Ditton did David this past week. And hopefully you were, it was a helpful sermon series on talking about Jesus being fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so now we're back in the book of Luke, and we'll be in here for a few few weeks. Uh, before we get into our a series in February, we're actually going to be doing a kind of marriage uh, series in February. So we'll be doing that for a few weeks. So we'll be back in the book of Luke, though, for kind of in January mostly. So Luke chapter 11, and we're going to be doing verses 1 through 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. As John taught his disciples, and he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us of our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he said, and he will answer from within, Do not bother me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything, because... He is his friend, yet, because of his uh, persistent or imprudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or, if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Let's pray. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for your word. We praise you, Lord, that we can come together and, and open your word and learn from it, Lord, and, and safety and security, Lord. We pray for our brothers and sisters, Lord, who do not have the freedom 
to gather openly and publicly, Lord, to learn from your word. We pray for them, Lord. I pray that you would give them perseverance and steadfastness, Lord, to be faithful to your word. You would give them boldness, Lord, to, to learn from your word and to proclaim it to those who do not know it. Lord, we pray, Lord, this morning that you would guide us, that you would teach us through your word. We pray for those who have not been able to be with us this morning because they're traveling or they're away or they're not feeling well, Lord. We pray for them. We pray that you would bring them back to us safely. Lord, we pray for just, uh, our, just Dave, our sister churches in Evansville, Lord, as they gather together to worship you, Lord. Lord, we pray for them. We pray for the, the pastors of, that, of those churches, the staff of those churches, Lord. May they be faithful to your word, Lord. May they not compromise the gospel for any, any reasons, Lord. May they proclaim it and preach it faithfully, Lord. That they would evangelize to those around them, Lord. That they would, you would give them confidence, Lord, to go out amongst the city to proclaim your truth. Lord, I pray that your kingdom would come. I pray that your name would be glorified through all the churches here in Evansville. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there is a story, uh, it's a pretty interesting story, about Martin Luther and his barber. And there's actually a book that came out of the story called Simple Way to Pray. It's a, a small book that Martin Luther wrote. But the, how the story goes is, is that uh, uh, this uh, Luther who comes in to this barber, his name was Peter. And uh, the way that the story goes was at that time, of course, in Germany, Martin Luther was a fugitive, right? He was a criminal, right? It, 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 there was a big bounty on his head, dead or alive, because he was, he was a criminal, he was hated by the German authority because of his, his views on the Bible, his views against the Catholic Church, and his, his, his writings on Reformation. And uh, the barber basically in his mind said, I can take this razor to Martin Luther's neck and press a little bit harder, and I would be given a huge reward for killing Martin Luther. But obviously Master Peter was didn't hate Martin Luther. He actually thought of him as a hero of the German people and, and agreed with his, his views and agreed with what he was doing and agreed that with his kind of mission to reform the church. And so Luther sits down at his, at, his, at his barber chair and Master Peter would ask him questions, right? He would ask him questions about the Bible. And this particular day, he asked Martin Luther, Martin Luther, can you teach me how to pray? Well, Luther thinks about it, and he says, basically, he said, let me go home, and let me think about it, and let me write uh, kind of a, a small uh, treatise, or a, a small little book, or a small little kind of just explanation of how to pray, and he gives this to Master Peter. And so, he, he says in this little book, he says, pray first in the morning, and the last thing you do at the end of the day, basically, in the sense that if you surround your day of work with prayer... You're showing an intentionality towards prayer. That you're not just, well, I'll pray whenever I find time to do this. Or I'll pray whenever I'm not doing this or that. If you pray in the morning, you pray at night before you do anything. And after you've done everything, then you'll make sure that you've prayed during the day. And Martin Luther talks about in his little book the importance of knowing God's word to pray. And so he tells Master Peter that he should think about the Ten Commandments. He should think about the Lord's Prayer. He should think about creeds. As he thinks about God's Word, he should pray in response to God's Word. So we, we get to a very similar story here in Luke chapter 11, how the disciples come to Jesus and basically ask the same question, would you teach us how to pray? And so 
the big idea of this passage today is that we pray by the Holy Spirit to accomplish God's will or God's purposes. We pray by the Holy Spirit to accomplish God's will or God's purpose. And so the title of the sermon is, Can You Teach Me How to Pray? Can You Teach Me How to Pray? So I have basically uh, four points, and two of the points are presuppositions. And a presupposition, if it's kind of a big word, is all it means is foundational beliefs or foundational truths. And all of us have presuppositions. And so presupposition number one is God the Father is generous with those who boldly ask. God the Father is generous with those who boldly ask. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to skip the first section and come back to it at the end. I'm going to start in verse 5. I'm going to talk a little bit about some presuppositions, and then we're going to talk about kind of Jesus' model to pray. And something important here is Jesus is not giving you some ritual prayer. He's not saying, all right, just pray this exact prayer every time we pray. He is giving us a model. He's teaching us how to pray. He's not giving us some just something recital, something just to state in our prayers, he's giving us a model or a guidelines for prayer. So, God the Father is generous with those who boldly ask. So, Jesus, after he gives this prayer in verses uh, 2 through 4, in verse 5 he gives a parable. He gives a short parable. He says, which of you as a friend would go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves? So basically you get this story about a man who's friends with his neighbor. Most of the time in that day, you were friends with the people that you lived near. So his neighbor was his friend. And a friend is not some acquaintance, someone that you're friends with on Facebook that you never talked to. A friend is someone you have affection for, someone you would see regularly, someone you would share a meal with, someone you knew about their life. You were friends. You loved them. You have affection for them. You cared for them. That's the word that we get for, for friend. We're not thinking about getting like a, an acquaintance that you would never talk to. Someone you know, but really aren't friends with. So this is a person who is, has this friend. And this friend is in need. This friend needs three loaves of bread because a traveler, a guest, has come to his home in the middle of the night and he has nothing to give him to eat. Someone who who's taken a long journey would be would be exhausted, would be hungry from their journey. And so this, this man has no food to give to his guest. So he goes over to his friend's house, his neighbor, and knocks on the door in the middle of the night and asks if he would give him bread to put before his friend, his journey, the, the, the guest has come to his home. So first off, we have to understand here is, is the knowledge of God, that, that in Philippians 3, 8, 3, 10, that knowing Christ my Lord, that Paul is basically saying in Philippians 3, 8 through 10, that the most important thing is to know Christ. It's more important than all the things of the world is to know Christ. To know Him is the ultimate thing. Spiritual maturity is knowing who God is. That God is eternal. God is omniscient. God is all-powerful. God is all-wise. God is sovereign. God is Lord. God is the creator of the universe. That spiritual maturity all starts with the knowledge of God. Jacob, uh, Job 42.2, I know you can do all things. Psalm 33.11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever. Isaiah 46.9-10, I am God and there is no other. A.W. Tozer in his book Knowledge of God says, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. 
He also says a right conception of God is basic not only to systematic theology, but to practical Christian living as well. That what you know about God is the most important thing about you. What else do we know about God? That God hears your prayers. Psalm 65, 2. You who hear prayer. James 5, 16. The effective prayers of a righteous man can accomplish much. So when we think about prayer, you have to start with God and the knowledge of God and who God is. And we know from this story, going back to the story here, the parable, that this man needed bread. And this neighbor says, do not bother me at this hour. My children are in bed. I'm not going to give you any bread. Right? He's basically saying, I, I don't have time, it's too late, and my children will be awakened if I go and get bread for you, so don't bother me. <coughs> Jesus continued and says, I tell you though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his imprudence, or the word persistence, or unshamed, he's unshamed, uh, in a sense he's unshamed about asking uh, and persistently to this neighbor, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. So we learn about in this story that, that uh, this man doesn't want to help his friend, he doesn't want to be bothered, but the man unshamedly and persistently refuses to give up. He continues to ask. And continues to ask. He has no shame whatsoever in asking his neighbor for bread. His boldness succeeded where his friendship failed. So what do we learn from this parable about prayer? Obviously, as we pray, we should be persistent in our prayers. We should be bold in our prayers. We should have no shame in our prayers to God. Jesus continues here. In verse 8, I tell you, though, he will not get up. In verse 9, and I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Jesus is saying, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking to his disciples, Christ Jesus, the eternal Son of God, says, ask, seek, and knock. And if you do these things, and you do it boldly, you do it without any shame, and you do it persistently, you will receive, you will find, and it will be open to you. God is generous. If you ask, seek, knock with boldness, and he will hear you, and the doors of heaven will be open to you. Jesus is confirming this truth, this presupposition, that God the Father is generous with those who boldly ask. Jesus is the one saying this to the disciples, Boldly and persistently ask. Boldly and persistently knock. Boldly and persistently seek. And you will receive, you will find, it will be open to you. Because why? Because God is generous. He's not like the man or the neighbor who says, don't bother me. I have nothing to offer you. My children are asleep. My door's already been shut. Go away. I have nothing to give you. God isn't like this, friends. God is generous with his children. Jesus is confirming this truth. He's confirming this presupposition. The second presupposition is God is a good father who gives what is best to his children. God is a good father who gives what is best to his children. Jesus kind of continues talking about these presuppositions, these principles by which we should think about God, that God is generous, but also that God is good. 
Verse 11, what father among you, if his son asked for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent or a snake? Or if asked for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Basically, Jesus is giving this lesser to greater. If, if, if the, your fathers, if their child would ask them for something, if they're in need, what father would give them a snake? The way that fathers respond to their children is with affection, with care, with love. We think about Christmas, right? And, and Christmas is a great opportunity. I was uh, thinking about Christmas. And, and Christmas is so much better when you have children because as you get older, you kind of lose some of that, um, kind of the mystery of Christmas. And you get to kind of relive it through your kids, right? As they get excited about presents and the lights and the Christmas tree and ornaments and cookies and all these different things, children have so much joy that comes out through Christmas. And what father or mother, if their children asked for something for Christmas, would give them coal, right? Or give them something like, something like, uh, something so ridiculous. And, and so we, we we're, we're, and so what Jesus is kind of going on with this is that if a child asks for something, what father or mother would give them something harmful? My daughter, Maggie, hates snakes, right? We were at the uh, Rainforest Cafe a few, a few days ago when we were in Nashville, and uh, there was a snake, that kind of a, a robotic snake with mouth open back and forth, right at the entrance to the Rainforest Cafe. And Maggie literally would, like, it was in, I think it was my arms or her grandfather's arms, and just in terror, right? He's in complete terror of this snake, and this idea that why would a father who has affection and love for his children give their child something they are afraid of or something that would harm them? Ask God for what you need. The grounding of our prayers is God's goodness, that God is good. We should trust God. We should trust his character, that he is good. If sinful humanity, as he says here, Jesus says, if, the, if those who are evil, those who are sinful know how to give good gifts, how much more does your Father in Heaven give you good gifts? If humanity lacks wisdom and lacks perfect love, how much more will God, who's absolutely loving and holy and wise, know what's best for His children and give them what they need? He even says here at the end of this, this passage in verse 13, if you are evil, how do you know how to give good gifts to your children? How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? The greatest gift is the Holy Spirit, right? The Father is willing to give the greatest gift to us if we ask. The Father is willing to give the greatest gift, the same Spirit that was in the creation story who hovered over the waters in Genesis 1-2. We think of Acts 2, 16-21 on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, and they spoke in amazing languages and preached uh, uh, faithfully and boldly in Jerusalem. That's the same Spirit that He gives to His children. The same Spirit that, is, that, that washes us with regeneration, that renews us. It's the same Spirit that God is willing to give us. The same Spirit is, is that, that sets us free from the Spirit, from the spirit of, of sin and death. The same Spirit that seals us with eternal life. The same Spirit that intercedes in our actual prayers in Romans 8, 26. The same Spirit that's transforming us into the image of Christ. That's the Spirit that God is willing to give those who ask. 
The Holy Spirit is the cause of every truly good thing in the life of a Christian. 1 Corinthians 2, 11 through 12. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thought of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. The Holy Spirit is what God will give to his people, to his children. The Holy Spirit is, the, is essential in knowing how to pray the way that Christ models. So it's so interesting that the disciples asked, how do we pray? And Jesus, at the end of this passage, says that God is so good, he is so generous, he's willing to actually give us his Holy Spirit. He's willing to give us his Spirit, which is essential and necessary to even know how to pray. So the third point, the chief concerns in prayer are God's name and his saving rule. Chief concerns in prayer are God's name and his saving rule. So, I mean, like I said before, the presuppositions here that are important to know is that God is generous to those who worldly ask, and God is good. And so, we should pray, according to the, by the Holy Spirit, these important concerns. And he says here in verse, turning verse 2, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. First off, teaches us how to pray by first calling God Father. This personal relationship with God, this intimate term. He doesn't say God, hallowed be your name. He doesn't say Yahweh, he doesn't say Lord, he says Father. Jesus is addressing God as Father. This is revolutionary. Okay? We, we're so accustomed to this prayer that we say Father and we just think it's so, you know, so common. But for those people in the first century, those Jews in the first century, this was revolutionary to call God Father. You would never have heard a Jew in the Old Testament call God Father. But Christ calls God Father. Obviously, he's the eternal son, and God is God the Father in, in the Trinity. But now he's teaching the disciples how to pray, and he says, first, call God Father. He instructs his disciples to do the same, to call God. Christ, call God Father. This agitates the Pharisees. This agitates the religious leaders that Jesus would call God his Father. And then he instructs his own disciples to call God Father, the Father of all who are in Christ. We know from Romans 8, 16 that Paul calls God Abba Father. We are as children of God in Christ can call God Abba Father. To those who have his Holy Spirit, we can now call God Father. Uh, John 1.12, if you receive Christ, you receive him and believe in his name, he gives you the right to become children of God and call God Father. We can declare him Father. His children are invited to enter into his presence and say, Father, will you please help me? Will you please provide for me? His children are invited into his presence. Philippians 4.6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be known to God, your Father. Without Him as Father, you cannot expect Him to hear your prayers. If you do not have the Holy Spirit, if you're not in Christ, if you're not a child of God, if you don't call Him Father, He does not hear your prayers. You're not entered into His presence. You're not allowed to make supplications with thanksgivings and make those requests known to God. So we can call him Father. 
but that one of the major and chief concerns in our prayers should be God's name, God's glory. Hallowed be your name. Our prayer is primarily for God's glory. Isaiah 48, 11, My glory I will not share with another. Psalm 72, 19, The whole earth filled with his glory. God's name would be set apart and above all that is created is the prayer. That your name would be glorified. That your name would be set apart from all the things in this world. That your name would reign supreme. Think of the Sabbath day. The Sabbath day, I did in the, in the, in the uh, catechism question. The Sabbath day was a day that was supposed to be treated differently than all other days of the week, right? It was a day that was holy. So basically, God's name is to be set apart above everything else in the world. And we should pray that God's name would be glorified, that your name, that God's name would be glorified. You think of Jesus in John 17, and John, John chapter 12, 27 through 28. Jesus is concerned about God's glory on the cross. He says in John 12, 27 through 28, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour, but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. Jesus' main concern about going to the cross is not his physical suffering, it's his glory, God's glory. He's concerned about God's name being glorified. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Even though what you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, all would be done to the glory of God. Matthew 5.16, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. God's glory would be displayed through me. That, that's something you should pray about. Jesus says that's one of your chief concerns in your prayers is God's glory being displayed through you, through your actions, through your words, through your thoughts, through your emotions. The chief concern of your prayers is his name through you. Isaiah 48, 11, how should my name be profaned? You cannot pray like this without the Holy Spirit. You can't pray that God's name is glorified through you without the Holy Spirit. You have to be in Christ. You have to, you have to receive him. You have to believe in his name to pray the way that God or Christ models prayer here. He says the second chief concern is your kingdom come. Let it actually come. Let your kingdom actually come. Revelation 11, 15. When the seventh angel blew his trumpet and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. The kingdom of his beloved son would come. We already know from Colossians 1, 13 that we've been transformed from darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. The world will be filled with the reign of Jesus Christ. The rule of God in the hearts of his people. So the way that we think about this, we pray about God's kingdom come, the first thing is salvation. This is a mission, missionary prayer. That salvation would come to those who do not have it. One of the main ways that Christ's kingdom comes into the world is through salvation. When someone is converted to Christianity, when they put their faith in Jesus Christ, that is Christ's reign coming. The kingdom of God coming. And why do we have to pray for this? Because it's not easy. 
Jesus says in Luke 9, 23, you have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. Most people do not want to deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow Christ. So, if his kingdom come comes through that, people following him and denying themselves and taking their cross, it's something we have to pray for. Through evangelism. The second way that Jesus Christ that God's kingdom comes into the world is through sanctification. When we grow in Christ. We, as he says later on in his prayer that we lead us not into temptation. When we grow to fight sin and put death to deeds of the body. When we grow in Christ, his kingdom comes. That's why it's so important to go to Bible studies and, and small groups or growth groups, coming to church on Sunday, going to accountability groups. What are you doing? It's not, you're not simply going to a event. Right? You're not simply going to a Bible. So you're not simply coming to worship with other believers. You're being sanctified through the Holy Spirit. And God's kingdom is coming. And God is ushering in his kingdom when we gather around his word together. When we come together to grow in Christ. When we are sanctified. When we put to death the deeds of the body. When we go to accountability groups and we are honest about our sin. When we confess those sins. And we work together to fight sin. Christ's kingdom, or God's kingdom, is literally ushered into the world. That's why it's important to be a part of those opportunities. They're not just simply things just to fill your calendar. The last point here is God is glorified by supplying your needs. God is glorified by supplying your needs. So Jesus kind of continues here in his prayer. So he starts off with those two chief concerns, right? God's glory, the glory of his name, his kingdom come. And then he comes to the second kind of set of things to pray for. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins. And we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So basically, again, the supreme place of God's purposes, the foundation on which to ask for provisions and pardons and protections is God's glory and his kingdom come. We should pray in the spirit. He is exalted in worship when we pray with, with his concern about his glory and his kingdom. It's kind of like a shirt, right? If you don't get the foundational buttons wrong, you're going to get the, the buttons wrong up top. Like if you get the buttons wrong on the bottom, you're going to get the buttons wrong on top. If we miss the foundational issues, we will pray wrongly when it comes to our provision, our pardon, our protection. The focus is still on God's glory. Our prayers should never be man-centered. The spirit-led prayers, prayers that are speaking of, of, of even, even if you see, kind of look at the, of the, of the, the, some of the pronouns used, is give us each day our daily bread. Not give my daily bread or forgive my sins, but the, the point here is that we're never to pray selfishly. All about foundationally about praying for God's glory. And so he talks about here, give us each day our daily bread, the sufficient bread. What we need, not what we want, but what we need. Proverbs 30, 77 through 9. Two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Lest I be fool and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. The issue here is that you would provide what I need. 
that the, that the, the love and the care of your Father will provide what is appropriate to you and what you need. He will provide for you. He will give you all the things that you need. For he is the source of all that you have, and that you will pray that he will provide what you need. The, thing, the second thing he prays for, or he teaches us to pray for, is to pray for pardon or for forgiveness. The Father is the one who is offended by our sin, that we read in Psalm 51.4. The Spirit reveals this truth that we have sin in our lives and need to forgive, ask God for forgiveness. When you acknowledge our forgiveness comes through Jesus Christ, that we need to be reconciled to God, that there is a barrier to God that is our sin and that needs to be destroyed, that hostility with God, that lack of fellowship with God, can only be dealt with when our sins are forgiven through Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2, 24, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. You've been healed. Our sin has caused disrupted communion with God. What does Paul pray, what does David pray for in Psalm 51, 12? That you restore to me the joy of your salvation. Our relationship with God needs to be restored through forgiveness of sin. We should ask God for forgiveness of our sins in our prayers. So that fellowship with God would be remended. And through that, we should forgive other people. By the Spirit, we should be led to forgive others. Because God has forgiven us. We should forgive others. You know, uh, some of you may not um, know that the first person to lead worship here at Redeemer was Joe Hearn. And Joe Hearn actually helped, it was me and him, when we first started the church. Um, and he was, the, the logo for Redeemer is something that Joe did, the website Joe Hearn did. And um, he left about, I would say like maybe a year or so into the church. And uh, there were some hard feelings that Joe had towards me and that I had towards him and and it was somewhat of a disruption in our friendship. And we didn't talk for a year when we left. And we eventually kind of came back together and started talking on the phone. And we kind of remended our relationship. And, and I forgave him for some of the things that I felt like he did to me. And then he forgave me for some of the things that I did to him. And there was a, there was a fellowship that was re reinstated. That we, because we recognize God's forgiveness on us, we should be quick to forgive others. And the word here for forgiveness is a word that comes from, we get the word abandon or divorce. That we should abandon the sin on others. That we should abandon and forgive others. That God is glorified when we forgive others who have done wrong to us. It's the most God-like thing we can do when we forgive other people. And the last thing that Jesus says is not only do you ask for forgiveness and then you forgive other people, but that you lead us not into temptation. This humble dependence on God, that we are weak without God's provision and help, without His protection. I love Psalm 34.8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in God. Takes refuge in him. What does it mean to be refuge? What is a refuge? It's a protection. The place you go for protection when you are in need, when you're in danger. Paul I mean, David is writing this. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Because why? Because 1 Peter 5 8, though Satan crawls around like a, like a roaring lion waiting to devour you. Right? We need protection from sin. John 17 15, what does Jesus pray in the high priestly prayer? To keep them from the evil one. We need protection from sin. Why? Because we're lazy. 
We're overconfident. We need God's wisdom and power. God is glorified when we pray for holiness in our lives and protection from sin. When God causes victory over sin, he's glorified. So all of our prayers are rooted in the, in, the, in the chief concern of God's glory. When God provides for our needs, when he forgives us, when we forgive others, when he protects us from sin, he is ultimately glorified. So why don't we pray? Why don't we pray? It's probably one of the hardest things that the Christian uh, has problems. It's one of the things that, when it comes to spiritual disciplines, I think we struggle with the most is prayer. Thing number one is we lack knowledge of his word. We lack knowledge of his word. We don't read his word consistently, so we aren't led to pray. That's why Martin Luther told Peter, he said, think about God's word. Read God's word. It will lead you to prayer. Some of the things that me and uh, Ditton and Robert have been thinking through lately is victories, like weekly victories, not only for the church, but for you in your own life. That's why we're so harping on this reading 60 minutes a week of Scripture. Why? Because if you're reading God's Word more consistently, most likely it will lead you to more faithful prayer. The second reason why we don't pray is the lack of concern for His glory and His kingdom. Right? If we cared for His glory and we cared for His kingdom come, and if we thought, okay, for His kingdom to come, people have to know Christ and put their faith in Christ, Right? People want to be sanctified in his word. Therefore, we know how difficult that is. We would pray more consistently for that to actually happen. To be accomplished. That's why one of the weekly victories that we are trying to press upon the church is attending church and growth group consistently. Because we know if we are in constant community with one another, we're constantly coming out around God's word together, then God is glorified and his kingdom is coming. We also, one of the victories is, is evangelism conversations and having gospel conversations with people that you know. Why? Because if you have gospel conversations, you're then probably more likely to consistently pray that God's glory would come and that, I mean, that his glory, his name would be glorified and that his kingdom would come. I think the third reason why people don't pray is a lack of persistent trust in God's generosity. Lack of persistent trust in God's generosity. We don't believe God's very generous. So therefore, we don't pray. We don't ask. We don't seek. We don't knock. One of the things that we were hoping that happens more is consistent giving. Why? Because if you're consistently giving, then you're trusting in God's generosity. You will trust that God will provide for you when you ask, when you seek, when you knock. The reason why most people don't give consistently to church is because they don't believe God will provide for them. If you trust in God's provision, you trust in His generosity, you're more likely to give, and you're more likely to ask God for your needs. The last, the last reasons I don't think people pray is a lack of faith in the goodness of God. We don't believe God cares about us. We don't think God is really any good. And so why should we ask Him for things? God's not good, and He won't provide what we need or what is good for us. So I want to I want to end our time praying, and I want to give you some opportunities just to sit in prayer. Um, we talked about prayer. It seemed odd or weird for us not to actually pray. And so I want to give you a few moments just to kind of pray. Use the Lord's Prayer here. Use, use what we've just taught, what you just heard. And pray that His name would be glorified through your life. Pray that His kingdom would come through your life. Pray that He would provide for your needs. Pray that, you would, that He would forgive you of your sins and that would lead you to forgive others. And pray that He would protect you from sin and temptation. After a little bit of time, I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to... 
take communion to God. To pray and use this prayer, and, and, and may it be a time of reflection, may it be a time of confession, may it be a time of asking the Lord to glorify His name through you. Father, we ask that your name would be glorified. Hallowed be your name. That your name be set apart. Lord, may you glorify your name through our lives, Lord. What we say, what we do, how we think, what we feel, Lord. May you be glorified. May, Lord, as, Matthew, as, as you say in Matthew 5, Lord, may people, may we be able to look at our deeds, Lord, and glorify you. But we ask, Lord, that your name would be glorified. Lord, we pray, Lord, that your kingdom would come. Lord, that you would use us, Lord, to usher in your kingdom. May you use our mouths, Lord, to speak your truth to those who do not know it. May you sanctify us, Lord. May you... Through your Holy Spirit, conform us into the image of Christ. May we consistently, Lord, come and be a part of the gathering of your people. May we learn from your word. May we read your word, Lord. May we grow in Christ. May people come to know Christ through our lives and through the gathering of your people. Or may people come and, and put their faith in you and trust in you and be saved in Lord, we pray that you would give us this day our daily bread. May you provide for our needs, Lord. May you give what is sufficient for us. We don't ask, Lord, for luxury. We don't ask, Lord, for riches. We don't ask, Lord, for, for big homes and, and beautiful cars. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you would provide what we need. May you would provide, Lord, for our health. May you provide a, a government, Lord, that would be safe and protect us, Lord, and allow us to worship safely. Lord, may we forgive us of our sins, Lord. May you um, cleanse us, Lord, the sins of our life. Will you uh, reunite us to you? May fellowship be remended, Lord, with you. Lord, may we pray forgive other people, Lord. That we think about people, Lord, that maybe we've that, that have sinned against us, that we hold grudges towards. 
May, Lord, may we be quick to forgive. May we be slow to anger. May you give us grace for others as you have provided grace for us. Lord, may you lead us not into temptation. Lord, may you protect us from sin. May you be the great refuge for us, Lord. May we fight sin. May you never put us in situations that we cannot handle. Lord, for some of us who may struggle with lust, may you never provide 